You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I'm going to be ministering to you a message. It's on launching your faith. And when I say this tonight, I'm talking about doing more than just being a bench warmer. How many know that in the body of Christ, sometimes you have people in church that are bench warmers, and then you have people that are actually in the fight. They're actually in the game of life. In fact, I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says there's this great cloud of witnesses. And it's almost like there's this spiritual arena where all the saints in the past that finished their fight, they're up there watching us down here. And here's what I I really believe is true. I believe in heaven that there is going to be a big stadium. And I believe that if you want the best seats, you got to produce the most fruit or you end up with the cheap seats. I don't believe God's called any of us here to be in the cheap seats. He wants us to finish our course with much fruit, much blessings, and much breakthrough in your life. Amen? Don't forget what it says in 1 John 5, 4. It says that whatever that is born of God overcomes the world. That means the devil, the flesh, and the world system. Hallelujah. Before you ever believed for anything, when you first got saved... You defeated all three of those things in your life, and that same faith resides inside of you. Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors. You say, why are you talking? Because I I believe that victory in what Christ did for you is the essence of launching your faith. you got to believe in the win that Christ gave us. Years ago, I asked this question, what is more than a conqueror. What is that actually does that mean? And there was a story that I heard that I think displays it really good. And the story is about a fighter, a prize fighter, that had a match with another contender, and the prize of who win was millions and millions of dollars. So if he won, he got this huge check for himself and his family. And he was talking to his wife about it before the fight, and, and he was talking about how he was going to do this and do that. And, and he asked his wife, he said, honey, are you going to come to the fight? And she said, no, I just can't bear to go to it. I can't bear to see you being beat up by this other guy for 10 rounds if you last that 10 rounds. And so he said, all right, honey, just stay home. I'm going to go do this, and I'll be back later. He goes to the fight, and it wasn't a short fight. It lasted 10 rounds. And he was beat up so bad they had to use razors on his face uh, so that he could see when he's punching. But he finally knocked out this opponent on the last inning, And won the fight. Kind of a rocky moment. Amen? And so he goes home and he has, like most men, they got their favorite chair they sit in. And so he slides into that chair exhausted and beat up. And his wife comes in and says, honey, how'd you do in the fight? He says, I won. And she said, did you get the prize check 
with the fight, and he lifts it up, and she walks by and grabs it and walks off. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. Jesus got beat up for us and then gave us the reward and then gave us the prize. Come on, say amen. He was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of peace was upon him. He took the curse on himself so that we could be free from it and receive the blessings of Abraham. Amen. So maybe you've been beat up tonight. Maybe your life's been tough. But I'll tell you right now, if you've accepted Christ, you have overcoming faith. And you're in a position right now tonight to launch your faith, no matter what you're going through, launch your faith in a way that's going to bring exceptional blessings in your life. Can you say amen, everybody? I love Jesus. It's powerful. Now, I want you to look up at the screen here. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'm going to show you a set of verses about King David that I believe will bless you in a great way. All right. It says, Now it happened that when David's men came to Ziklag, on the third day the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Now watch this next verse. Then David and the people who were with him, the 600 men, lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. How many of you have ever been grieved so badly that you weep and there's no more tears? This is how bad it was for David. Now, I want you to notice in the next verse, let's put it up here. Now, David was greatly distressed, to say the least, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man who his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abithothah, the priest, and Ahimelech, son, bring me the ephod here to me, and Abithothod brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall we pursue this troop? Shall we overtake it? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover it all. I know a lot of you know this story. But something that I want you to remember is this. When David asked the Lord about this, the revelation that he learned later hadn't been revealed to him yet. If you read in the Psalms, he said this. He said, Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver us out of all of them. At the time that he said this, he didn't know if the Lord was going to deliver him out of everything. But God does, because without faith for deliverance, people are going to give up on their faith. They're going to throw in the towel. God is such a big God that he will, in fact, bless you and bring you through the hard times you're going through. But I love what David did. It said he encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, he talked to himself. Now, most people think you're crazy when you're talking to yourself, but the Bible talks about self-talk. See, I don't know if you've been in this boat before, but I've noticed this with married couples, that when Joyce and I first got married, she'd be doing good, I'd be doing bad. She'd build me up when she did good. And uh, when she was doing bad and I was built up, I'd build her up. 
But every so often, both of us would be down. And when we're both of us were down, there was no one to build, build us up. Can you say amen? amen? And I don't care who you are. You're eventually going to get to a place where if you're not willing yourself to build yourself up on your most holy faith, you're going to be laced in a place of depression, a place where you feel like quitting, and a place you may quit and give up if you don't learn the power of encouraging yourself. Can you say amen? I like to say it this way. My wife is one of my biggest fans, and I'm one of her biggest fans. But when the fan base is not around, you got to be your own fan. You got to go, I am really happy with me, man. I'm blessed, highly favored. I'm a specialist. I'm over. In other words, you, you got you to believe in yourself, in Christ, during those times that you're special, that you weren't a mistake, that God called you from the foundation of the world. There's a divine purpose in your life God has for you, and he's known every moment of your life, how you were created, what you were look like. He did all that. You're not an accident. You were made on purpose for his glory. Because if you can't encourage yourself you're never going to be able to have that big faith that you need to overcome the problem that you're facing. And I see people go through trials all the time, and many of them, it's almost like a reset. They hit the trial, and they get discouraged, and they're like, go back to the, go back to the drawing board. David didn't do that. That trial that he went for or went through launched him into one of the biggest fruitfulness areas in his whole life. It was this particular restoration that he received that launched him into becoming the king of Israel that the prophet of God had, prophet to him, had prophesied to him that he would have in his life. So if he hadn't approached this problem that way, he never would have advanced in the way that God wanted you to, him to hear. Now let me say the power in this. When I'm preaching to you, you're listening to me, Right? And you're hearing me with the outer ear to the inner ear. That's one thing. But when you say the word yourself, and that's why it emphasizes holding fast the confession of your faith, you're hearing from the inner ear first, then the outer ear. In other words, I sound different when I'm preaching to you than what I do when I listen to me, listen to me on a CD. Faith comes from the inner ear. Self-talk touches the inner ear. You hear what you're saying. Are you listening to me? Let me give you verse 4 of this. I'm not just giving you something. Psalm 62 verse 11, 12 says that God has once spoken. Now watch this. Twice I have heard this. You heard it once with the outer ear and you heard it the second time with the inner ear. Faith comes from the inner ear. you got to get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm great because God made me great. Don't look at me like that, everybody. Come on. You've been depressed. I'm trying to shake you out of it. Get up there and go, I'm beautiful, praise God. Well, I don't look like so-and-so. Yeah, but you look the way God made you. Whether you're heavy, whether you're skinny, whether you're tall or short, you're created in the image of God, and God doesn't make junk. 
Hallelujah. I know you ladies get a little concerned about that because you pattern yourself over someone else. But don't do that. What matters is the beauty that's inside of your heart. Amen? That makes you shine on the outside better than any makeup can do. Praise God. All right, I better stop for either. I'm going to get into trouble. So you need to, when you have a setback, believe for a comeback. Come on, I got a setback. I'm, I, you know, I was dating this girl and she was doing good and whatever and she broke up with me and I'm so sad that God wants you to have a comeback or maybe you're having marriage problems, things going bad. God wants you to have a comeback. Maybe your finances are going to the toilet. God wants you to get a comeback with more than enough and plenty left over and you need to believe God for it and believe you got it now and envision it in your... Oh, glory to God. When you do that... It will stir you up, and it'll make you courageous in your faith. Say courageous. It'll give you confidence. Without confidence, you can't have strong faith. David had to go to these 600 men and say, hey, guys, get on your horses. We're going to go back out. They were exhausted. They were so exhausted, the two of them stayed, 200 of them stayed back. That's how exhausted they were. They didn't know where these enemy troops had taken their children and their wives and didn't know any of that. But he was confident. And he said, the Lord said we can retrieve it all. And they retrieved it all. I don't know about you, but that gets me, that makes me fighting strong. I love what Paul said. He said, fight the good fight. When I was growing up, it was never a good fight when you lost. It was always a good fight when you won. Even if you, you know, had a black eye for a couple of weeks, if you won, well, praise God. We went back to school. Everybody goes, yeah, he beat him. Yeah. You lost, forget about it. It's bad. God doesn't want any of you to lose in your faith. He doesn't want you to lose in your family. He doesn't want you to lose over your children. He doesn't want you to lose over your health. He doesn't want you to lose over your stamina. He wants you to win every battle that you're fighting with in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, Something that David did that I think we need to really catch on is this. David would not allow his emotions to control him. Emotions are designed by God to make the journey easier. They're not designed to drive your life. You are designed to be in the driver's seat. Not your emotions. If you let your emotions in the driver's seat, it'll run you in the ditch every time. But if you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My faith can change the way I feel. Then you begin to give praise to God when you don't feel like it. Then you begin to give thanks to God when you can't think of anything thankful at that moment. And as you do that, it changes you. The emotions change. That's because your emotions are no longer in the driver's seat. Your faith is in the driver's seat. You know, it's like a car. In a car, you have uh, uh, cruise control, but cruise control was never designed to, to be in the driver's seat. It was designed to make the driver more comfortable when he's driving. That's what your emotions are for. It's to keep the journey pleasant. Amen? When faith is in operation, it produces peace, joy, and love. And that makes the drive all worthwhile. How many of you have ever been on a road trip with a bunch of crabby kids? When are we going to get there? 
but you get them joyful, praise God, it's a joyful thing. Let's sing, Dad. Let's do the car game. You know, it's great. God wants us to be in the driver's seat when it comes to our emotions. And I understand we weep with those that weep, but we don't continue to weep. We shake it off. We go to God. We thank you, Lord, that all things work together for the good, and we count it all joy. And God changes what's going on in your feelings when you do this. Here's something I've noticed, that when a person really, how do I say, envisions something, I mean really envisions it with their heart, their heart is affected by the feeling that comes with the envisionment of what you envision. When you truly envision what God's word says, there's a feeling associated with it that comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's beautiful. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Can you say amen, everybody? Now, here's what David did that we need to do. David, you know, he was a great guy. He had his problems like any great people do, but he was a big thinker. He's a shepherd boy. Once he got that anointing and knew what God had called him to, to be a king, once he got that anointed and knew that, he was a big thinker taking on Goliath. Give me a break. He had to be a big thinker to do it. You have to be a big thinker for your faith to grow big. If you're a little thinker, your faith will be small. If you're a big thinker, it'll be big. You've got to think big on what God can do in your life. Let me say this. The Bible says, set your mind on things above where Christ sitteth. In other words, I should never, ever deny myself of what is said in the throne of God. Whatever God is talking about in the throne of God or what I am talking about in the throne of God, I should never, ever, ever deny myself of that because God has seated me in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm not out in the alley. I am in the throne room. You're in the throne room. And whatever is said and desired within the throne room, you should not be, desire, you should not be denying it. Amen? Now, what happens is sometimes we say, well, I just need to deny myself. You do. You're flesh. But if you're a born-again Christian, you don't deny your spirit. Because your new man in Christ Jesus is not by himself. Christ is in you. So to deny my inner man, my new creation, is to deny Christ in me trying to do something. Trying to accomplish something. For it is God who is at work in you both the will and to do his good pleasure. And I'm very familiar with the verse that says, Jesus said, in fact I wrote this down, it's in Matthew's gospel. I'll give you the notes for it. Matthew 16, 24 to 26 Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, keep this in mind, that was before the cross. In other words, he's saying, if you want to follow me all the way to salvation, to the cross, I w you're going to have to deny yourself. Why? Because they, weren't, they were dead spiritually. They were separated from God. Who they were was in sin, and that inner man had to say, I'm going to do it God's way and not my way anymore, to be saved. That's why it concludes in that same verse and says this, he who tries to save his life will lose his life. 
And he who loses his life saves his life. Why does it add that? Because when you come to Christ, what do you do? Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. I've been running my life the way I want to run it, but I'm going to come to you. You're the Lord of my life. And at that moment, you believe you're born again. A new creation comes up inside of you. And then whatever is begotten inside of you has the power to overcome the devil, the flesh, and this world system. Amen? So there's a champion inside of you because you are not alone. Now, your flesh, you always deny that. But that inner man inside that's walking with God, that your spirit man, that new creation has ambitions, visions, dreams that God put within him. And they may be big and hard. Don't deny it. Say, Lord, I'm going to believe for big things because you're a big God and you want to do big things in my life. I get a little irritated with people with little faith. Not that I, I love people, no matter where you're at, but I get irritated. You know why? Little faith won't do anything but comfort you. I said it won't do anything but comfort you. Every time Jesus used little faith, he was, it was always with people that weren't having their needs met or with Peter who was sinking in the water. Let me say it this way. What good does it do to be comforted while your ship is going down? Think about the, the movie. Remember the old the movie Titanic? They've had several versions. But the, the, the one that everybody liked the most, I can't remember who was in it. But anyway, in the movie, right before the ship goes down, the, all the lifeboats were filled with women and children. So there was no room. So the musicians that were left with their violins and their pianos, they go out onto the deck and they begin to play as the boat's going down. Little faith will comfort you, but you're still going under. I'd rather have great faith and keep the boat afloat and make your destination. I'd rather have great faith and get healed. I'd rather have great faith and get the marriage restored. I'd rather have great faith than being more than a conqueror. Come on. I'd rather have great faith. And we love all of you. Amen. But if you just have little thinking, you'll always have little faith. You got to enlarge your thinking. And whatever God's telling you in that, in the, in the, how do I say it? In that royal room, the throne room of God, never deny yourself of it. Say, Lord, I'm going to believe God for it. I don't care how big it is, how hard it is, how expensive it is. I'm going to stretch my faith for that goal. I'm not going to settle for less when in that, in that throne room you've made it real to me. It's got your will for my, oh, praise God. There's something about that that changes you. And I want you to understand as I share this tonight that within church, you've got people that believe in Jesus in different ways, but not everybody believes to the point they get saved. You say, what are you talking about? You remember the story of the 10 lepers that came to Jesus that had leprosy? Now remember Jesus' own ministry, no one knew he was the Christ till the end of his ministry. Everybody thought he was just a man anointed by the Holy Ghost who was a prophet. And he told them prophetically, go show yourself to the priest and you'll be healed. And everybody believed 
what he said and went. And as they went, they were healed of leprosy. But one came back. He was a Samaritan. And bowed down and Jesus says, your faith has saved you. I believe he's referring to more than just physical healing. Your faith now has brought you to a place of salvation. And you see that in the Samaritan revival. Philip preached. People were healed, crippled. But that wasn't enough. They wanted to believe and be saved, and they were water baptized. And they wanted to continue to believe that they'd be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it said for Peter and John to come up there in a week and give them that blessing. So belief isn't just, I believe that God will prosper me. I believe that God will heal me. I believe that God will restore my marriage. It's more than that. you got to believe to the point that you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead for your sins. He is the only way to salvation. And he is the true Lord and Christ. And there's none like him. And everybody needs to surrender to his lordship. you got to get your faith to that place to receive the ultimate salvation that God offers you. Not just prosperity, not just healing, but the salvation of the soul. I thought that was pretty good preaching right there. I thought it was good. So I wanted to say that to you because I want you to understand that you have to believe you're above it all when you get saved. You got to believe that. You got to believe that spiritually, Satan is no match for you. Spiritually, sickness is no match to you. Spiritually, the world system is no match for you. Spiritually, no demons are any, no match for you. If you watch all these today's movies, they always have the devil so powerful, bouncing priests around and all this levitation, whatever. If I run into a demon, he's going to run and hide because the name of Jesus is more powerful than what the Hollywood gives the devil credit for. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. But I wanted you to see that you have to believe and you have to have faith that you're above it. Let me give you an example. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph had a dream, and in the dream... He saw himself in authority over everyone. He told it to his father. He told it to his brothers. And his brothers got jealous because they were jealous anyway. Because dad had made him a cloak of many colors. He was daddy's boy. He was the favorite boy. And you remember the story. They got jealous. They sold him into slavery. Now when he was, sold, when he was put into the pit, beaten and half dead... He never gave up on the fact that he was above it all. He never stopped believing. There's no reference at all with him ever questioning God. When he went to work for Potiphar's house as a slave, he never gave up that vision. And that vision caused him to be promoted in Potiphar's house. And then when Potiphar's wife got the hots for him and he rejected her, then he got the woman's wrath, and her husband had to back up his wife. So anyway, he gets thrown into the royal prison, which, by the way, the royal prison, not like an ordinary prison. It's the kind of a prison that senators go into, and presidents, come on, if they're convicted. It, it's, a, it's, it's different in that time. And so he went to this prison, but still bad. But he never lost 
the fact that he was above it all in his vision and dream. He knew it was right. And you know what happened through that whole thing? He was in the right place at the right time and became the, the second most powerful person in Egypt at that time. He never could have had that happen if he had lost the fact that the dream had told me is above all. You say, well, that's Joseph. You're better off shape than Joseph. Joseph was a leader exalted. You're a king and a priest, and you're seated in heavenly places far above every principality, power. Come on. You're above it spiritually in your life. But you may not believe it. And you know what's interesting about Joseph is through his whole life, he embraced that and wouldn't let him go of what the Lord had revealed to him. And even when the Pharaoh put him in position, it was conditional. Because you remember he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, and the dream was there would be four, seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. And the Pharaoh says, we've got to get somebody that is, that is wise and stores up for that time. Anyway, Joseph becomes that person. Can you imagine after that day, he's excited, he's promoted, but then he's looking at the weather report the next day? For the next seven years, he's looking at that weather report because he knows that if it doesn't pan out the way he told the, the Pharaoh, at the very least, he'll lose a position. At the worst, he'd be beheaded. So for seven years, it's good, and, and, and the economy's good, and the farmers are doing good, and that last year, he goes, oh, my goodness, it better be bad next year. We better look at the almanac, see what it is. But he believed. He stuck, stood with that. And then for the next seven years, it was a drought just the way. So for 14 years, see, the Pharaoh wasn't stupid. He knew that if he had heard from God, that it would be just as he said. And here's the part a lot of people don't know. We think when a prophet prophesies, that's it. It's done. No, 99% of prophecies are conditional upon the prophet not doubting what he says. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. You got to hold fast to that prophetic word that God gives you if you want it to happen in your life. God just didn't speak it to you to get stirred up one day and be disappointed the next. you got to hold faith on that or the devil will sweep in there and take it away from you. Amen? But if God says it and you believe it, praise God, it will bring a great blessing to pass in your life. Can you give God praise, everybody? Now, here's something that will help you launch your faith again in this area. Have faith in the things that you want. Now, obviously, not things that you want that are evil, but the good things. Have faith in those things. You say, what do you mean? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It didn't say faith is the substance of things we feared. It didn't say faith is a substance of things we don't want. I never hope I'm going to go broke. I never hope I'm going to be sick. I never hope that I won't succeed at it. I never hope. Hope is always what you want. Faith is always the good things that God offers us that you want. There is a substance to it that you have to hold fast to it. And if you do, you'll attract it in your life. Doors will open and you will experience it in your life. Can we give God praise? I'm pretty excited because 
This is Christmas week. A lot of gifts given, but God's given us so much to, to give. I mean, the salvation inside of you can turn the world upside down. We just need to release it in faith. Let me show you the principle in this. In Romans 8, 2, it says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. And notice it does a comparison. The law of, uh, the, the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free. And the law of sin and death does just the opposite. Romans, the third chapter, tells us that this is actually the law of faith. Now, let me explain what Paul's trying to do here without doing it verse by verse, the whole thing. He's showing people how to overcome the flesh. If you want to overcome the flesh, you have to keep in your mind, say in my mind, what you want, not what you don't want. If you keep what you want in your mind, it will eventually attract that in your life. Let me give you an example. Let's say you went to the doctor and the doctor says, you're a borderline diabetic. No sugar for you this holiday. You got to cut your sugar intake or you're going to be taking shots. And you don't want to be a diabetic. So you take it seriously. Oh, my goodness. I'll give you two ways you can do it. You could create a mantra, mantra for yourself, and you could say something like this. I will not eat sugar anymore in my life. I will not eat sugar anymore in my life. I will not eat sugar anymore in my life. And all you'll do is see sugar everywhere. You'll see it in your coffee. You'll see it when you're driving down the street. You'll see it at the ice cream shop. Everywhere you go, you, you'll be attracted to it because you kept that in the center of your mind rather than doing something like this, creating the mantra that you would say like this. I am going to eat healthy in my life. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to make healthy choices. And you keep that in the center of your mind. I'm going to stay healthy. I'm going to keep healthy. I'm going to keep center. Then you're going to attract good decisions. In other words, you have to have faith in what you want, not in what you don't want. Are you following me so far? So people, they do just the opposite. We have classes for lust. And all we do is create more lust in the men. The more you think about lust, the more you're going to lust. The more you think about the righteousness of God, the less you'll lust. Or you think about the holiness that God has imparted to you, the less you're going to act unholy. In other words, it's what you put in the center of your mind that feeds your faith. And I want faith for the good things that God wants me to have, not the bad things that I shouldn't have. In other words, you've got to consume yourself with that rather than the other. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get any cookies for Christmas. But it does mean if I have an issue in my life that, is, that I need to fix, I'm not going to overcome it by looking at what I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to overcome it by looking at what I need to do. Put my mind on that. My faith works from the what you renew your mind to. Renew your mind to a lot, your faith becomes bigger. Renew your mind to a little, you've got a little faith. It's just that simple. It's not that complicated. 
Now let me give you the last verse, and I'll prove this to you. Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now watch this next part. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which we just talked about. And that you put on the new man, which is created according to God into true righteousness and holiness. How many have noticed this? That you can't put on a jacket until you take off the old jacket. In other words, you can't, I suppose you can, if you get an oversized jacket. But generally speaking, if I'm going to try on a jacket, and this is one of the reasons why I do not like to shop with my wife for clothes for myself. Because she says, try this on. I said, I don't want to try it on. I don't want to take off my shirt. I don't want to go into the thing. Just buy the size I have. Let's hope for the best. It doesn't work that way. You got to take off the one to put on the other. Because you can't have them both. You got to have one or the other in your life or it will not work. Say amen. I said, you got to have one or the other. You got to decide I'm going to focus in on God's righteousness or I'm going to focus in on unrighteousness. I'm going to focus in on God's peace. I'm going to focus in on my fear. I'm going to focus in on discipline or I'm going to focus on not being disciplined. You got to focus in on what you want your faith to soar in. That's how you launch your faith into what God wants you to have. I want you to stand, stand up right now if you would. And I just want to say a couple more things here uh, that is critical. I'm talking about dressing for success. I'm not talking about physical clothes. I'm talking about spiritual clothes. People need to dress spiritually for success in their life. If they want their faith to be launched out, They've got to dress themselves with the righteousness of God and the holiness of God and the discipline of God and the love of God. You've got to dress yourself with that. And you've got to see that in your life more than all the other things that are trying to come into your life. And the only way that you can do is put one on with the other. Jesus talked about this at the Last Supper when he brought his disciples together and he was washing their feet. Of course, Peter, I like Peter because he's cocky, he's bold, he's reckless, but he had a good heart. And he tells the Lord, he says, you're not going to wash my feet. He says, and the Lord says, I don't wash your feet. I'll have nothing to do with you. He says, all right, give me a bath. I want the whole thing. Give me the whole bath. And Jesus said this. He said, once you've been bathed, all you need is your feet washed. I wish Christians could believe that. Once you're born again, there's a righteousness of God in your life that never leaves you. There's a holiness in your life that never, sure you can get a little defiled, but you can't ever become the way you were before because you've been bathed in the blood of Jesus. Whew. Man. That is so awesome when you see that from that perspective. Here's what I've learned over the years. You always act on what you believe. 
If you don't believe right, you act wrong. Maybe you ladies can identify. I realize a lot of the homes now are hardwood floors, but I remember a time when it was all carpet. And my wife, she, she loves carpet right after it's vacuumed. It just leaves little trails with the fact she just loves it. It's, just, it's kind of her idol. I mean, I should say that. Anyway, she likes it. And, she, and, and so when we would hire someone to come in to clean the carpet, they'd come in. She was so excited. They cleaned the carpet. They cleaned the carpet. And I remember when our kids were small, as soon as that happened, they come to the door, take off your shoes. It's clean. I want to keep it clean. Did you ever notice when you believe you're clean, you don't want to get dirty? The reason why Christians get dirty is because they don't believe they're clean. If they believe they're clean, they wouldn't get dirty. Because they believe they're filthy and there's everything wrong with them. Then they don't mind wallowing in the mud. Hallelujah. And I, I don't know, but I, uh, if I was invited to a wedding, I was the best man, whatever, and I had a tuxedo on, ready to go to the, to, the, to the wedding, and someone knocked on my door and said, hey, uh, Pastor, can you come over and help me change the oil in my car? I was like, no, I can't, man. I, I, got, my, I got my dudes on here, man. I'm going to a wedding. I'm going to be best man. I, I just can't do that. In other words, I'm not going to participate with it because of what I'm wearing. Christians forget what they're wearing. They forget the, the righteousness of God. They forget they're above it all. They forget that they have authority and power. They forget that they're more than conquerors. They forget it. And they start acting like someone that they're not. Hallelujah. I got to stop now. Are you catching it, everybody? Turn to someone right now and say, I can't believe how clean you are. You are just spotless. And that's not because of you, it's because of Jesus. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river and we're doing life together.